Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Sidekick Rugby Union Podcast with your host, Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? Uh, good, Mark. Good. We, it was an exciting weekend, uh, except it wasn't too worked out well for, for Munster, I'd say. We'll have a run the rule of the Durban match last weekend, where Munster were hit for 50 points by the Sharks. Leinster Rugby advancing to a quarter-final against the Leicester Tigers with a 30-15 win over Ulster Rugby at the Aviva. Connacht Rugby's Challenge Cup journey finished fairly emphatically by a dominant Benetton rugby outfit, 41-19 in Italy. We'll also have a look at some of the other marquee games from last 16 from the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup perspective, and also have a look at the quarterfinals schedule for the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup uh, this weekend. And if that's not all, we'll ha- also have a look at the TikTok Six Nations Women's Tournament and run the rule over the first two rounds there. I suppose, Liam, let's start from the start. Saturday... Lunchtime kickoff in Durban. Again, 28 degrees, 80% humidity. Munster found the Sharks too hot to handle. Yeah, except except in all fairness, in the first half at least, we were we were in the game. And we would tr- score some nice tries. And yeah, I suppose, look, I suppose it, it's, it's just very hard to figure out how it went wrong, how so badly wrong in that, in that second half. There were some good performances, actually. I thought Hodnett actually stood up. In that game, I thought Daly and certainly Calvin Nash. Some nice little breaks there from Fekatoa and offensively with, with, with Frisch. Certainly Crowley, I think, you know, has to be worth another look again. You know, he's, he's a guy who certainly had his kick boots on. He nice pass through the ball. But uh, yeah, it's, it's more <laughs> up front, seven out of eight there, where, uh, yeah, we were kind of taken to the cleaners, really. I think this is a true acid test. And I suppose Munster see the levels that they need to go to to really compete with the elite. We've seen it season in, season out now, Liam, in recent seasons where we've optimistically got to a quarterfinal or a semi-final of the Champions Cup only to be really felled by a team with a superior pack, superior game plan or superior backline cohesion. And I suppose Sharks did really expose and really played to their strengths here to a certain extent, but Maybe we'll go to the third quarter uh, massacre in a while, but I suppose we get to the opening period here, Liam. Nice start from Munster after an early Sharks penalty concession. Shane Daly uh, going over, uh, great try really, and tacking movement from Munster and a great finish from Shane Daly to get an early lead for Munster. It was, and again, it's something that even even in the bad defeats against Glasgow and this one, our backline has clicked at times. There's no doubt about it. And again, Crowley was very prominent in getting Fekitoa into the game and he got Daly away. And again, Daly had to, a bit of work to do, to, to had to really do step in well to, to take it under the posts. And yeah, yeah, very well worked try, first try of the game. And it was just, it was after that, like, it's when the the Sharks came back. Personally, I thought for the Pimpy, it's a bit harsh. I think he kind of sidestepped John Klein, fair enough. But I think there was one or two other monster backs that were uh, sidestepped. I know that Donica Callan was praising the world-class finish, and I suppose you can look at it that way as well, I guess. Look, the conditions are one thing, but I suppose it's the physicality. I mean, rugby, you're playing, it's a simple game. If you win your collisions, I mean, I felt the Sharks, even in that early first quarter, were really testing Munster out from a physicality perspective. Also, the breakdown work was absolutely exquisite, I thought, from the Sharks. They really honed in on that in terms of their first and second wave breakdown attacks here. Munster really, and this is repeated again from Munster Rugby, and this is a new management team, I know. But again, this whole adaptation during a game, it felt that Munster at no point here really did adapt their style or look to address the issues really, particularly in the breakdown, because if you're really conceding the breakdown here, Liam, a team like the Sharks, but it's such an explosive back tree, also the back, uh, back two as well, it will be a long afternoon. It's all kind of proved eventually, but I suppose the Hendricks said try in 15 minutes. Again, as you say, Mavimpi, literally great sidestep. There was a few kind of other tackles, whereas kind of the support for Klein on that. But I mean, Hendricks uh, goes over with a fine score and gives the host momentum that they really kind of uh, did build upon. Yeah, they did, I guess, I suppose. Look, I mean, 
it's about then I had quite a, a powerful um, pick and go and, and drive over line that yeah um, facing facing Slimer <laughs> uh, seventeen seven but the, you know it, it was still all all up up in the air the, the the result was still in the balance and look Dave Kilcoyne was able to drive over to bring us right back into the game really at that stage. Absolutely superb cameo from Calvin Nash as well leading up to that. Made a linebacker out of absolutely nothing here, evaded several would-be tackles from the Sharks, leading to that score. thought the pack phase play was pretty decent, you know, and Kilcoyne going over from short range. So, I mean, given how the game went, there was a little bit of control accuracy issues from Munster. The breakdown had become an issue. Going into the shed 17-14 down, I felt relatively confident that management and players would certainly address some of the issues. But my God, Liam, third quarter-wise, what you can't be given this Sharks outfit is easy access into your 22, and particularly from 5 to 10 metres out, because their front five will destroy you. And I mean, the three penalties straight after each other, really allowing the line-out drive to be set up for the Sharks for devastating effect. And and for Mbrami two try two tries from Malls, but particularly he he he's um second one, it was like literally unopposed. <laughs> it was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life, and it just walked over like you know. But you know at that stage, you know that was probably uh, match probably over at that stage, and it certainly was when Werner Cock picked up a ball and, and ran, and and that was the end of that. But I yeah I think look. All game, as you said, at the breakdown, it was like just uh, mayhem. I think that we were looking for ball too quickly, so we we got to the, we got to the, the breakdown way ahead of, of of schedule, and then they were able to just blow us apart. <laughs> like we just didn't kind of set up ourselves up for 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 the counter lock. The amount of penalties they got. Um, I suppose, look, we were destroyed eventually in terms of the, the scrum. Really, it's it's hard to know whether they took the foot off the gas in the last 20 minutes or, or uh, we we finally kind of got to terms with the, with the conditions. I think a bit of both, really, to be honest with you, Liam. I think given that devastating third quarter period here where, you know, three tries and quick minutes here, uh, the game, the, the tie is over, I mean... You know, the body language, I thought, from Munster, particularly after that third try, uh, was alarming. I thought a few players' heads went down. I think organisation, also composure, went out the window a little bit here as well, Liam, which I think from a management perspective will be a massively disappointing aspect to the performance. Just in those vital minutes, really, after that third try, to really see if we could hold it together for five, ten minutes, but it never really materialised. And then an awful lot of indiscipline in terms of our attacking play as well. I know we had to go for broke as well here, and no better team than the Sharks to really anticipate and prey on those errors. I thought it was just overall, just, um, you know, particularly for the first 60 minutes, you know, it was kind of a harsh lesson for Munster here in terms of cup rugby, particularly against a very dominant opponent who had their homework done on Munster, that, you know, you have to get things so right on these playoff fixtures and, Again, Munster a bit short, and again, tries followed in regular patterns. And I mean, I think that Bosch try as well, you know, the image of you see five or six Munster players languishing behind Bosch as he basically dives theatrically over in the corner. For me, that was the image. Munster players looked absolutely spent on their feet, exhausted. And this is after 57 minutes. So I'm just wondering here in terms of climatization, in terms of conditioning, in terms of preparation for this game. It just feels that a few things were a little bit short here for Munster going into this, and it came back to bite them. From what I heard as well, from the supporters that were there, and the supporters, they thought it was, it was actually brutal weather conditions. And then we heard that Munster came in late into Durban for the game. Again, as you said, no real acclimatisation whatsoever. I mean, what's, what's that about? Saving in extra nights? hotel you know what I mean it's like it's just hard to understand what's going on but yeah, yeah look I mean I thought the last three or four the last three tries anyway of the Sharks like there was like you know to be fair it was like bounce of a ball you know um intercept pass do you know I mean it was kind of you know on our days maybe they might have worked but also you'd have to say that 
Munster was very sloppy as well in, in everything we did in the game, in, in, in being accurate in, in any portion of the game. Yeah, I think even early doors here. Uh, I know there was a clip that was highlighted by Murray Kinsler in terms of Craig Casey at the bottom of a rook. And essentially was looking for Fekitoa to be the first receiver. Ball basically not where Fekitoa wants it. Basically defers it back to Frisch. And again, we're basically on back foot uh, ball here. So, I mean, stuff like that really. Our kicking game was, I thought, a little bit disappointing as well. And I think Sharks did pray on the on the conditions here as well here, Liam. Uh, particularly in that first half where Munster's back three had to basically contend with the sun. So, again, an awful lot of factors here. Yeah, the acclimatisation here. Look, the thing here, Liam, Durban, there was no altitude here. I mean, I'd say, you know, in terms of maybe going to the Cape or maybe into the Transvaal. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the acclimatisation factor here, I think, was probably a key one here in terms of the heat. Definitely, it looked as if Munster players really kind of were struggled. They struggled from about minute 25, 30 on here. They were basically rolling off tackles. And again, it's that challenge of going to South Africa, particularly when you get to challenge, challenge your Champions Cup here. You need to get your preparation. You need to get everything right in terms of your synchronization. And yeah, unfortunately, Munster were found a little bit wanting on the day. But again, give them credit where credit is due. I know the suspense were cleared at this stage, but again, an encouraging finish here. This could have been an awful scoreline come the final whistle. But the fact that they reduced to get the arrears to 15 points at the end with some lovely tries really does show, you know, that there is capability there. But again, it's the whole 80-minute performance here. And again, the accuracy was a little bit lacking. Even in bad defeats, who scored four four or five tries in, in the last two games as well, you know. Um, so we will keep scoring tries like that. But it's obviously the defensive side is just shocking, you know. In the last three games, the amount of, of um, tries and points that we've conceded. And again, it's, it's, it's very hard to know how has it collapsed so much in two games. What's you know, also, you know, Dennis Leamy thinking, you know, what's, what's going on there as well. Yeah, then you also have the thing of, you know, we can't get away from the fact that we have arguably, you know, our, our Munster front row of, of Cronin, who's playing abroad now, and John Ryan playing abroad. And then, of course, we have Jeremy Lockman injured. So effectively, look, we have no scrum of, of any note. So to go against any team of quality, we're going to get absolutely mauled at scrum time as well. Well, particularly when it's the Sharks and you look at the South African contingent that's in that front five particularly and in that pack. I think this was, I had mentioned on my Facebook page that an awful lot of things would have to have gone a hell of a lot right for Munster. Uh, again, that scrum was literally creaking early. Salanoa goes off early. Stephen Archer comes on after 18 minutes. Kilcoyne manfully came in, you know, did try to do a job. Same with Scannell. But again, it's the brute force of that Sharks front five. And I think this is the lesson here for Munster when it comes to the business end of the season, you know, really packs win championships. You know, you can have all the attacking fair play that you want, but the fact is you need a solid base. You need a solid front five and your pack to be dominant in terms of the collisions. If that's not happening, you're out for early elimination or out for disappointment. And we've seen this theme in the last decade in terms of Munster here, when they come up against the real elite teams here and I would rate Sharks pack as an elite unit here so it's no disgrace to getting beat by them but again it's where are the reinforcements what's the improvement going to be here for Munster next season I know John Ryan will be coming back after he's stint by Waikato Chiefs but again there needs to be a hell of a lot more enforcement in that pack particularly front five particularly when you get to the business end I know Ty burns out with injury but again it's that front row build the platform in terms of a good scrum and also your line out as well and I think it creaked at various points here at the weekend again and uh, don't know where Munster go from here really to be fair with the recruitment that's been non-existent in that uh, unit Yeah and it looks as if the recruitment is done as in the, 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 the squad is there for next season apart as you said from from John Ryan there's nothing else going to be, be happening certainly for, for the beginning of next season Unless we do some medical joke or something, we you sure endure next season. But that, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the squad. And if they're not good enough now, they're hardly going to be good enough to win to win 
and to major next season. But there's 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 always things that can be done in terms of to just be more competitive and uh, to break down and just I suppose defensively not being so passive. That, that that's another thing. I thought we were very passive defensively as well. Yeah, like I mean, there was a good quote there from Russ Petty on Twitter: 130 points leaked by Munster in the last three games. You can bring it back to Musgrave Park, particularly in that second half performance against Scarlet. Scarlet sensed an awful lot of soft rook area defence, an awful lot of passive line speed. That is continuing. Now, I talked for Glasgow Warriors game for the first time this season. I felt Glasgow bullied Munster. They bullied Munster in all aspects of play, in terms of the breakdown, in terms of front five. Thought there was an incident when Gavin Coombs tried to go over early against Glasgow. He was held up. And again, there was a bit of kind of sledging went down from Glasgow. Not one Munster player reacted and basically supported Coombs. I thought that was alarm bells going into a game of the Sharks' magnitude. I don't know what's happened here in Munster, but definitely the line speed, the organisation, it's not in the same level as it was maybe at the start of the year. Or maybe have teams figured Munster out and the schemes that Dennis Leamy has been setting up here. Because it's certainly their line breaks here have been plentiful. And again, the cover defence, you know, hasn't been quick to react. So I think there's an awful lot of worry here for Dennis Leamy. But I think collectively for a team, I think for Mike Prendergast and also uh, for Graham Rountree here, how did they stem the tide here? I mean, it doesn't get any easier here, uh, Liam, for Munster. I know they'll have the bye week this week, unfortunately. They're not in quarterfinal action. But they then travel down to South Africa to face the Stormers and face the Sharks again. And I mean, these two teams need results as well. So it doesn't get any easier for Munster Rugby. And that top seven URC playoff place is hanging by a thread. Yeah, and we need, a, I suppose, a, a, we at least need a point to probably get seven spot. I don't think we can probably get it through losing bonus points. I think it's more a case of us scoring four try points. Um, that's probably the way to get it, get it realistically, because those two teams are going to be gunning for... The Sharks for for keeping in the, the the top eight and for the Stormers to get a home draw, so it's not going to get any easier, as you said. Absolutely. I suppose the only saving grace maybe is potentially if games were to go the way of the Stormers and also the Sharks, maybe they're having one eye on a semi final in the Champions Cup, and maybe put out squads that are a little bit weakened. But again, that's only a hope here, team. I mean, given where the Sharks are in terms of their URC playoff aspirations, I can see them going all out now for the rest of the season to really secure it, Bert, and as well as that, the Stormers need at least another win here. And sure, Munster coming to the Cape in another few weeks. I don't see anything, only any let-up here for Munster. It's Munster now that really have to focus on a performance and really tighten up defensively, and it's not going to get any easier. The weather conditions are probably going to get a little bit tougher, if anything else here, Liam, particularly with the Stormers. I know we'll probably move away here from Munster and the, the Sharks, but, I mean, the Stormers showed against the Harlequins, like, what an exceptional side they are with ball in hand. And, I mean, <laughs> given what Munster's defensive woes have been in recent weeks, that's not the team that you want to be facing here to restore any sort of defensive confidence. It was it was in terms of this weekend. It was one of the most comprehensive wins that they had again against Harlequins, um, and two tries at the end really lost it completely for 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 Quins. But yeah, they are. I mean, to be honest, they're, they're probably up there with, with anyone as favourites for the European Cup. You know, absolutely, they're they're a, a real unbelievably quality side. Oh, class act, absolute class act here, Liam. You know, have a very abrasive pack, you know, very exciting halfback partnership as well. And look, an explosive pack line here that you give him an inch, we go a mile. And I think Harlequin's kind of seen that to the full effect. And I think it kind of emphasises well to me, Liam, in terms of Challenge Cup and Cha- Champions Cup, how difficult it will be for teams and what it has been for teams to get results in South Africa. Even the Lions put 50 points past Racing 92 in a Challenge Cup last 16 game, which I thought was the standout performance of the Challenge Cup, really, to be fair. So I think, you know, it doesn't get any easier here. And I think from a Munster perspective, I think enough lot of soul-searching, maybe, in terms of, I know the project is early in terms of this new management uh, setup. They'll continue to embrace the new tacking ethos. But there has to be a root and branch review in terms of how they're preparing for these marquee games. And also, I suppose, squad additions here, even if they have to look internally within provincial AIL ranks here to see if there's prospects to basically bolster squad depth here because 
it, it is getting to the point here now that Munster are really looking over the shoulder here. And heaven forbid, if they don't get into a top seven spot, challenge cup next season, that'd be a massive blow for Munster rugby. Yeah, and apparently, <laughs> this is Jerry Thornley. <laughs> Munster are at, at nothing financially. Munster are in, are in dire straits. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the most obvious thing is we, we have to keep our Champions Cup place or then we, we go down rapidly, you know. Like, so this is, to be fair, like some of those French sides who never really recovered haven't been at the top of European rugby. still find it difficult to understand how we can't get there's there would be good props in places like Georgia and, and, and Italy that would certainly lock a scrum. That's the very simple thing that, that, that can be done. And actually now, with the whole chaos, really, in terms of English rugby and, and the salary cap, there are a lot of players available. And not for crazy money either. We're not talking about, you know, half a million, 400,000 a year. You know, probably over the, the quarter of, of a million if we could afford that. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it does, there, there certainly are options, I think, there. I think there's certainly options, Liam, but, again, it's all down to the RFU directive, isn't it? And one Peter Nusifora, who really is responsible for personnel, player personnel issues within the RFU. So, again, th- there may be a case stated by Graham Roundtree and management here in terms of depth chart, particularly front five, I would say, even front row, as a kind of a matter of urgency here, uh, where they can go, because... Again, there would be options, certainly, and who knows in terms of gallery premiership, in terms of fin- more financial meltdown here, in terms of clubs maybe having to shed players to balance the books. So uh, I think that'll be an interesting watch, but even from a Challenge Cup perspective, I shudder to think from a Munster Rugby perspective, the dip in revenue stream sponsorship. I would even say non-playing staff here, uh, Liam, if we got to the situation where Challenge Cup, I think this is where people don't understand here that <laughs> Munster Rugby squad, particularly IRFU contracted players, may be asked to move to other provinces who are in Champions Cup. So I think there's an awful lot of layered implications here, and I think it's imperative for Munster to get at least three to four points here come the end of the season to ensure that they're in that top seven, because otherwise, yeah, given, I think, the financial predicament of an awful lot of rugby clubs, and Munster included, Champions Cup is where the revenue streams are. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, very hard for Munster to really rebuild and build a project if they're in a Challenge Cup situation next season. Yeah, and, and but it's it's the whole Munster project, really. I mean, you'd have to say that this professional rugby board, the questions have to be asked as well at an executive level. How, you know, disastrous signings being made in terms of foreign players, letting go some of our top players. A few extra thousand, quite frankly, would have kept the likes of a John Ryan. Then we have, you know, the white elephant, which is Thomond Park, which simply isn't used outside of three or four match days, really, you know. Uh, I suppose the dissatisfaction that, that they're now in Cork, I suppose just in terms of the training bases alone, you know, that quite, that really hasn't worked out, if, if anything, since since Munster have came to Limerick to the high performance unit. There's been a dip in performances, so these things have to be looked at as well, I think. I agree with you, and there's more infrastructural work going on in terms of academy bases being set up in Limerick and Cork. That's fair enough. But again, it's the root and branch review that was required last season. I don't think things have been fully implemented here. Uh, I think from a team perspective, how will they get over and compete, even compete with the elite squads? I mean, look at the record in the URC this season, Liam. You know, it's nine wins, seven losses here. And I mean, some of the losses here, you know, again, Cardiff Rugby, Dragons, but quite a few of them have been against teams that are the elite teams. I would consider the top four uh, being the elite teams here in the URC. Uh, So, I mean, from that perspective here, Liam, I think it's uh, worrying times, I would think, for Munster Rugby and the supporters, really. And uh, a bit of a nervy end of season to it, because, I mean, the tense situation here, Liam, as well. I mean, we go to um, other fixtures in a while, but I mean, Joey Carberry had been the number 10 up until last weekend and then was basically dropped. So, I mean, from a player perspective here, if you're Joey Carberry, you know, with Ben Healy out the door to Edinburgh, there may be a chance here that Joey Carberry really reviews his, considers his options in the summer and maybe looks to maybe depart early from Munster Rugby. So then you're kind of left in a bit of a bind here if Jack Crowley is your sole number 10 here. So I think there's personnel issues that probably to be sorted out here, particularly in the off-season here, Liam. 
I think that is is going to be Carberry's last season anyway in terms of under contract with Munster. But absolutely, it's kind of a big snub to him, I guess. Crowley, who all season didn't start at number 10, <laughs> to be given it in the most crucial game of the season. But again, in the next two weeks, we, we have big decisions to make in terms of selections. You know, I mean, I suppose that that panic selection for Sneeman to give him uh, that sort of a full, full uh, first start, you know, ever for Munster. <laughs> that certainly is questionable. I think we need to have maybe a bit more on the bench, the likes of maybe Healy, maybe Earls, Zebo, those sorts of options coming off at least in on the next South African tour. Oh, absolutely. I think it's all hands to the pump here, Liam. I think there's no excuses now. Full squad. These guys need to be on a plane and need to be prominent in terms of some of those games here. I think experience is going to be required, particularly. So I think Zebo, even Keith Earls for that extent, you know, would take an awful lot of boxes for me. Again, Antron Fisher 13, I didn't feel he was fully 100% fit, to be perfectly fair. And again, in a heavy pitch, like in the Sharks, did kind of expose him for missed tackles during the 80 minutes. So again, I think the Schneiman move, I think, was more what they saw, what was in front of them uh, from a Munster management perspective. I think it was uh, done just purely to a psychological edge, really. But Snyman had precious game minutes going in here, particularly against Scarlets and also Glasgow Warriors. So then to expect him to elevate his performance against an elite pack, Sharks, I thought, was asking a little bit too much. And to be fair, Finney and Witcherly actually quitted himself pretty well uh, when he came in. So, like again, I think 9 and 10 here. Look, I can see the mantra from Munster Rugby. They want to keep this fast, you know, up-tempo, quick ball from Ruck. That's fair enough. But I think it, the breakdown work was a little bit uh, awry here and really did cause more problems uh, for Munster Rugby. So, look, I think it's all for Munster to really sit down, reflect and go forward. That's the only thing they can do here and really kind of play with a little bit more game smarts, particularly defensively. But that's not going to be easy, uh, given the Sharks and the Stormers coming up. Suppose name Leinster, Ulster. Again, wet afternoon and evening in the Aviva. Uh, Ulster tried hard here, but uh, Leinster, I felt, were pretty much in control for good portions at the game. 30-15 uh, result. Yeah, certainly was. But again, I, at least Ulster were, were in the game. They were they were always there right, right through to the end. I mean, pretty much it was only maybe... The last 15 minutes that that you know they, they had that comfortable 15 point lead yeah i thought that ulster started okay they got the duet penalty and then to be fair yeah, brian baird had an absolutely massive carry uh to score his try he was uh, immense uh, all afternoon and and what impressed me about leinster was i suppose the fact that the likes of baird and ryan the, the physicality that they bring, you know, they had that dog in them now, as well as on the dry day, they can obviously spread the ball, but on the wet day, they can keep it in the pack. I mean, Conan, Conan was, it was incredible. We, we talk about uh, Gavin Coombs, but to be fair, Conan, the last few games has just been off the charts in terms of he's carrying his rocking for Leinster as well. And yeah, so I mean, look, I mean that, that first half, I think the the Hume try was it was a was a real beauty, that cross kick from Billy Burns. And yeah, I mean, as I said, they were they were always thereabouts when when Jameson Gibson Park got over for his try, Rob Herring came back and mauled over. So yeah, I I, I think they they can be proud of their effort. Genuinely, I think they can. Um, Ulster, I just think that uh, Leinster are always going to have. That extra, you know, ten point sort of difference. Yeah, to be fair to Ulster, you know, effort wise, work rate, you can't fault it. In terms of the territory, the possession, it was all Leinster really. To be fair, sixty two percent possession, seventy four percent for Leinster as well. So, again, for Ulster, they were living a bit on scraps. Let's be brutally honest. To be fair to him, one hundred ninety seven tackles. In the full 80 minutes, that's massive commitment from Ulster. And when they did get opportunities here, uh, I mean, they certainly did impress. I thought that Stockdale Burns kicks, very impressive for the James Hume try. And also Rob Herring's uh, statistics were off the chart in terms of, I think, 21 tackles. But again, found that attacking Maul to kind of give a glimmer of hope here. But 
I suppose Leinster have kind of shown here it was a wet day in the Viva. I thought the kicking game for Leinster was far superior than Ulster. And particularly from a back three perspective, you know, that was kind of a key aspect for me on that. I mean, from a Leinster perspective, 1,025 metres gained from kicks versus 610 from Ulster rugby. I think from an Ulster rugby perspective, the discipline as well cost them dear as well, didn't it? But uh, Hume getting sin-binned, that then leading to Gibson Park's try straight under the post and then Harry uh, Sheridan as well. Uh, as well, but again, the penalty count 15-7 to Ulster. I mean, again, for a quality team like Leinster, who only missed one tackle during the 80 minutes here, name it's very difficult to beat them at the best of times. But when they're that accurate and when they're that kind of pack orientated, focused, they can beat you anyway. And I think from an Ulster perspective, they did as well as they could. I think, given the circumstances. I suppose there have been other years where they probably should have won um, Ulster, but I, I just think they they played to the best of their ability, and I guess that's really all you can think about when you when you're playing those top four kind of elite teams in Europe. You bring your A game and your A game still isn't quite enough. Um, but you know they dug in, and and um, I think that they certainly have something to build on for next season. I think that. For for Ulster, it's now a question of they can still get maybe a top four spot and uh, still get to the final in the URC. That's that's that, that has to be their aim, really. I think so. Now I think that's a genuine aspiration here, Lane. Great to see Jacob Stockdale back as well, wasn't it? Just in terms of ball and hand play, I thought it was very impressive. Again, that's it's it's a good outfit here, uh, Lane. So. I think, you know, the pack can be relatively satisfied as well. Like Rory Sunderland, Rob Herring and Tom O'Toole here acquitted themselves well. Again, I think it was fine margins here to a certain extent, but I thought just Leinster, as soon as Rob Herring scores their try, uh, they just go down the other end of the pitch. Five minutes later, Jimmy O'Brien held up just short and then Andrew Porter crashes over. I mean, game over. It just showed the clinical nature of Leinster. And I suppose this is something that Ulster Rugby, if there's a lesson learned here, is how really close out games of this, this magnitude. They did have kind of periods where got more points on the board, yes. But I mean, Leinster were just purely clinical in what they did in very difficult conditions. And to be fair, they're very well set up, I think, uh, Liam, for this last day tie against Leicester Tigers on Good Friday. Yes, certainly are. I mean, uh, I think they're saying that possibly uh, Van der Feer might be missing that. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, you'd have to fancy Leinster to do that after, you know, last year, I think they actually had to travel to Leicester Tigers and they still had a comprehensive uh, victory. But yeah, um, it's looking like Leinster are definitely kind of peaking at the right time of the season. And they have that crucial semi-final and potentially final in the Aviva. So, I mean, it's all to play for for them. But again, for me, it, there's a, they have a physicality that the other Irish teams don't have, Leinster, you know, and, like, you know, and, and they, they really have that sort of tiger bullishness at the breakdown. And they had the physicality almost of, of the top, South African and French sides. That's that's kind of what impresses me the most this season. I alluded to it in the Munster piece here about lessons learned. You know, packs do win championships here. And, you know, I look at this front five now for Leinster and it is very potent, isn't it? I mean, you look at Andrew Porter, Keane Healy from a loose head. If Dan Sheehan, now Rona Kelleher wasn't available. You John McKee in as a substitute. Tyke Furlong, Michael Alatoa. Ross Maloney, who Thought didn't put a foot wrong on the day, uh, impressed. James Ryan, who's having a wonderful season. And then you have the likes of Jenkins to come in here to close out these games. I mean, Van der, Flyer, uh, Van der Flyer, as you said, injured, rolls the ankle. But you're lucky if Scott Penny coming in on 54 minutes, who is an absolute, you know, absolute gem of a player. We rate him so highly here on this podcast. And the likes of Jack Conan, really impressing at the right time of the year Ryan Baird as well the versatility he can go in at second row so I mean look you've an awful lot of physicality you've an awful lot of skill set there here Liam and for Leicester Tigers here I think it looks like it's going to be a dry track day in the Aviva on Good Friday it could be a long evening for Leicester Tigers if Leinster really do click here yeah I think it's going to be a long day I think it's going to be maybe 
a more comfortable victory for Leinster than than than, than people are, are anticipating. But I think for for Leicester, I mean you're also looking at them the, you know, they're 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 playing they're gonna be playing on, on a bigger pitch that Leinster are used to and, and Leicester not quite. So but but Leicester have the smarts, one thing I would say they have the rugby smarts. They will try and come with a, a tactic to really, I suppose, disrupt Leinster. That, that's 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 what every team is trying to do, but <laughs> it's yet to, yet to be seen who will actually actually come up with the, the that perfect plan. I think the perfect plan nobody really has hatched it yet in URC. Maybe Stormers to a certain degree in the RDS, but again, you couldn't really evaluate the the Leinster side that was out and even got a draw against the Stormers that Leinster selection. So. I think the work's cut out for Leicester Tigers. That 16-6 win against Edinburgh. Now, again, it was played under pretty atrocious conditions in Welford Road. I think the crowd, lack of attendance here, really did dilute the atmosphere here. And to be fair to Leicester, they need a little bit more uh, than what they provided against Edinburgh, who probably have a few regrets going after that game. I think particularly their halfbacks didn't really kind of fire their backline. And also there was a few penalties missed by Edinburgh that could have kept this game very close. So I think Leicester Tigers have an awful lot to work on uh, this week. Everything has to go a hell of a lot right for them to really compete uh, first off against Leinster and we'll see how that goes. I suppose, uh, Liam, we'll kind of leave uh, that. Uh, I mean, any other standout ties in the Champions Cup last weekend you want to talk about? No, just uh, I, I certainly saw the Stormers against uh, Queens and that was uh, hugely impressive, I have to say. But yeah, you'd have to say too, I guess, that Exeter, their their win on the try uh, callback, was it? <laughs> How many was, more yeah. tries scored in the game was, was a bit farcical, you know, and um, that's certainly stood out for me, I think. Yeah, there was that red card to Zach Mercer as well, wasn't there as well, that has garnered a bit of social media opinion there. I thought Montpellier must have thought that they had this in the bag with only six minutes left, but... All credit to Exeter Chiefs, you know, writing a new chapter in their European history. Again, it doesn't come much tougher, though, than the Stormers uh, next weekend. So I think for me as well, maybe the La Rochelle-Gloucester game. Just with eight minutes to go, it looked as if La Rochelle were on their way out, crashing out of the tournament, down to 14 players. But I suppose Teddy Thomas bailing La Rochelle out here. Maybe it's just a little bit of reality check for Ronan Agara's charges here. Uh, Gloucester did come to play. Maybe there was a little bit of... Um, disrespect here from La Rochelle but take nothing away from Gloucester thought they played their part massively in this uh, fixture but again might give a little bit of hope for Saracens uh, travelling to the west of France uh, to face uh, La Rochelle next weekend I suppose Challenge Cup Connacht came into the tie against Benetton on, on the back of a pretty emphatic win against Edinburgh Rugby in the sports ground after 17 minutes they were 12 nil up against Benetton but uh, the wheels firmly came off here Liam with an emphatic 41-19 win for the hosts, I suppose. Uh, what were your reflections on the game for Connacht? Yeah, I just, I just saw some of the, the highest of the tries there. But look, it certainly it was an absolute walloping in the end. That was Connacht's very much first string side bar Finley Beelham. So it's a bit of an up and down thing from from playing Edinburgh and, and playing so brilliantly. So you just hope that this up and down thing that the next game for them anyway will be against Cardiff that they, they, they come out fighting. Bring it back, I've, I have said constantly uh, that Benetton are a very good side. They are up there with any of the teams in the URC. Again, how because they I suppose they have literally the entire Italian side. <laughs> once, once they can actually feel them, they would be impressive. And uh, look, Benetton have a, have a, a glorious chance, I suppose, if it doesn't work out in terms of your they have a glorious chance of actually winning the competition. It's very open in terms of the Challenge Cup. It's absolutely wide open, name to be fair. You look at these fixtures, even the Champions Cup and Cha- Challenge Cup fixtures last weekend, out of 16 fixtures, 15 uh, home wins. And I mean, Benetton are up against Cardiff Rugby, who had a magnificent win against Sale Sharks. But going back to Benetton here, I thought their back play, and you've you've highlighted it in numerous podcasts here with me, Liam, their back play was first rate. I mean, you look at Menacello, uh, Nacho Brex, Padovani, Rhino Smith. I thought Watson and Umanga here destroyed Connacht here, particularly in the second and third quarter. 
literally Connacht had no answers here to the free-throwing uh, rugby that Benetton, at the front football from Benetton as well, after going 12-0 down, it was just too hot to handle for uh, Connacht here, unfortunately. Look, it, it was it was all, second half was, was, let's be honest with you, was completely, um, completely Benetton. The result was never in doubt. I mean, that's, that's probably the most shocking thing, really, in the in, in, uh, last uh, um, 16 fixture in Europe. So, Connacht has some, some serious soul searching to do once more, it has to be said. I think so too, Liam. Now, you can probably point back to their last Challenge Cup fixture in the pool stages against Newcastle Falcons and Kingston Park, where Newcastle, let's face it, were out of contention to qualify. This was a perfect opportunity for Connacht Rugby, who many had tipped around Christmas time as being one of the form sides to actually get to a, a final in the Challenge Cup. It would be a marvellous achievement. But they went to Newcastle, went 21-0 down early, never recovered. And this allowed this whole away fixture to then unfold. So I think Connacht, we were under no illusions here when we saw Bennett and Rugby play Munster uh, a few weeks ago, that this would be a pretty tough fixture for Connacht Rugby. And so it proved. But this inconsistency here, you know, where they can, you know, under day really match it. Like the Edinburgh game the week before, Caelan Blade was absolutely superb. He had the Edinburgh defence off guard. But I think Benetton Rugby did their homework on Munz, on Connacht Rugby here. Really around the uh, you know the blind side, particularly the running lines, I thought really did expose an awful lot of three-quarters cohesion issues here as well, uh, Liam. And to a man, I thought Benetton Rugby's pack really dominated here. And I mean, Oliver's yellow card, it's academic. I mean, the tie is well over. Uh, but I mean... Just a very dominant performance from Benetton. And I mean, it sets them up magnificently well here uh, for the Cardiff Rugby. And as you say yourself, look, Challenge Cup win here gets you into Champions Cup next season. So, I mean, it's a glorious opportunity here for Benetton. And I think exciting times are ahead for this Italian club. Absolutely, yeah. And and look, in terms of, you know, there, there, is, there is some quality there. You still have the Lions and you still have... Glasgow as well, but I mean they're probably on the 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 the, the stronger half the draw. Again, it depends, I suppose, on what what if they get home fixtures. But at home, they can they can take anyone at this stage. No superb win for Benetton. I suppose for Connacht Rugby, look, they have to dust themselves down. They have a two games of the regular season, massive games. First one coming at home to Cardiff Rugby, who are still in playoff contention themselves. That'll be an emotional night, given that it could be potentially the last home game for Connacht Rugby, uh, particularly regular season. So, I mean, like Sakir Marmion, guys like that, maybe kind of playing their last game with Connacht at home. So, I mean, it's imperative to get a win because they go to Scotstown uh, to play a very much informed Glasgow Warriors team who put 73 points past Dragons, probably in the other standout performance of the Challenge Cup last weekend. So, again, for Connacht, it's pressurised rugby now. The reward is nearly there in terms of securing one of those top seven berths. And I think that would be a nice end to Andy Friend's tenure at Connacht Rugby and would ensure kind of solid foundations for Pete Wilkins as he takes over as the head coach uh, next season. It would be amazing, but let's just hope it's not at the expense of Munster. That's all I have to add here. <laughs> oh, well, look, league table doesn't lie at the end of the year, uh, Liam, so we'll just have to kind of see where the abacus falls, really. So, But uh, to be fair, congratulations to Benetton Rugby, and I think uh, they're well set. I suppose, Liam, uh, kind of concluding here with the European competitions, quarterfinals then on Good Friday with Leinster, Leicester Tigers. On Saturday, we have Toulouse against Sharks, Mode Water and Game. Exeter Stormers and then on Sunday La Rochelle facing Saracens in an absolute pack physicality platform game on Sunday uh, what are your tips there? I think it's honestly hard to call any of those uh, fixtures it really is like you know like that bounce of a ball sort of a thing or intercept try I suppose for me maybe the, the, the most obvious one uh, to call would be Stormers to beat, to beat Exeter I mean, I'd be fairly confident in that one. Any of the rest, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to say probably to Leinster to get over the line against Leicester Tigers. La Rochelle Saracens, yeah, it's 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 that's a funny one. Again, it's all it's it's pretty home advantage is so crucial at this stage. It wouldn't surprise me though if Saracens actually won that game, I have to say. But I would have to probably tip 
La Rochelle to to stay in the competition. Yeah. Yeah, then Toulouse Sharks, what a prospect there. Because if there's any team capable of going to Toulouse and winning, it will be the Sharks, you know. And you are kind of almost looking at a shadow. It's like a, a shadow kind of South African selection against a shadow French selection, really, you know, where the, 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 the cru- crucial stars for France are playing for Toulouse and the crucial stars for South Africa are playing for the Sharks. Toulouse, in, in what I would consider quite a high-scoring game, I'd tip them by five points to, to get over the line there. Yeah, I think that's the standout fixture here, Toulouse and Sharks, because it'll be interesting if Ed, Edwin Ethabet is fit. I know he went off in, you know, at halftime against Munster. The pack for Sharks never missed a beat in that third quarter, obviously. But he'd be massive loss if he wasn't to line out against Toulouse. I suppose you'd have to edge it to Toulouse given their home record. And, you know, they had a good performance against the Bulls. I thought it was workmanlike. I think the Bulls did, like the Sharks, cause chaos at the breakdown. But Toulouse found a way they adapted their game plan to really kind of hone in. So I think Toulouse there, maybe, that'll be maybe closer here. And I suppose from a Leinster perspective, it's probably better the devil you know. And probably the preference probably could be Toulouse instead of the Sharks. Because the Sharks, that pack, particularly with their attacking mall here, is going to be a massive weapon if they were to face Leinster. Suppose Leinster, Leicester, you know where my views are here. I think it's going to be a fast track in the Aviva Stadium. And I think Leicester Tigers will be improved from last season, no doubt. But I think Leinster here, 15, 20 points here. I think there's a statement of intent game here, uh, particularly if there's one or two guys coming back in. And if Scott Penny is playing, he'll be eager to impress. So I think Leinster will need to set a, a statement here. And I think they will. Exeter Stormers, I think Stormers for me, probably slight edge, but... Look, Exeter at Sandy Park here, Liam. You know, anything's possible here. Now, again, I think conditions are set fair in Sandy Park, which might maybe tip the balance here to Stormers because Exeter did give points away to Montpellier last weekend. And again, if the Stormers can, you know, really set a platform early, I think there's no reason why they can't win by five to seven points. And then La Rochelle Saracens. Saracens were a little bit indifferent against the Ospreys and credit to Ospreys for the first 50 minutes really put it up to Saracens, but Saracens really did finish the game incredibly strong. But if they have that sort of inconsistent performance against La Rochelle, who got their wake-up call against Gloucester, I can see maybe La Rochelle winning by five to eight points. And then the Challenge Cup here, Liam, we have Scarlet's Clermont-Averne, Lon hosting Leon, Benetton facing Cardiff, and Glasgow Warriors entertaining the Lions. I suppose, what are your tips there for the last eight here? Um, well, for Scarlets against against Kermont, I mean, again, Scarlets in in the latter half of the season have been the most improved well side, playing some brilliant brilliant rugby, and I would very much fancy them to um, beat Kermont and continue on um, on a really good run in the Challenge Cup. I just think, yeah, they're 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 playing heads up rugby, and they're playing the kind of rugby that we always thought they could play. Uh, and they're producing it now. So I, I would be tipping Scarlet's by about 10 points, I reckon. I reckon, yeah, against uh, Clermont. Um, Toulon-Leon, yeah, it's going to be another, another cracking game. I would say that Toulon, it's still, they still have a pretty good home record, Toulon. And uh, I think that they will come through there in a very tight game, maybe plus three points. Glasgow, I think Glasgow will certainly... They will probably have maybe the most comfortable win in the weekend. I know the Lions are, are are incredible at home, but then they they can also fall away. And I think that Glasgow will um, comfortably maybe 15, 20 points win uh, against the Lions. And then Benetton Cardiff again should also be an absolute thriller of a game. Very, very, very sort of open rugby. And, and I think that Benetton are going to keep going potentially all the way to the final. So <laughs> I would have to say Benetton uh, by seven points against Cardiff. I think I'm pretty much with you on there. The only one probably I disagree with is probably Scarlett's um, Claremont. And just based on the fact of Claremont's, Claremont Averne's performance against Bristol, 
at Ashton Gate. They won 33-26. Free-flowing game, as you would expect, between these two. Scarlets got the job done against Breve. Breve had massively struggled this season. Recall the Connacht Rugby where they got hit for an absolute cricket score in the sports ground. And again, <laughs> I don't think the interest was there really from Breve here either. So, look, I think Scarlets are going to have to pick up their performance twofold on this Claremont Verdon side, who I think have spotted that this Challenge Cup may be their way to get into Champions Cup this year, given their domestic form has been very up and down. So I'm going to hesitantly give the bet to uh, Claremont Verdon here to win by maybe two, three points. I think Toulon, Leon, I think is a coin toss here. I think who wants this more? Maybe Toulon, given that they're at home. But I mean, Leon put 41 points past Stade Francais. And we talk about teams that have struggled once getting out of Champions Cup, Heineken Cup. Stade Francais is one of those teams here, Liam. You know, they've never really recovered after getting out of the Heineken Cup here. A team that back in the 80s, 90s were one of the perennials uh, are really struggling at the moment. Uh, I think, to be fair, from a Leon perspective, they put them to the sword quite easy uh, last weekend. But I think Toulon, I think three points. Yeah, Benetton Cardiff is going to be an absolute stonking game because Cardiff come into this game on the back of the 28-27 win over the Sale Sharks. I think there's nothing here uh, to recall it. I think plenty of tries anyway. But I would go for Benetton here. If they continue to play that front foot rugby that we've seen against Connacht Rugby, then I think Cardiff Rugby will be in a bit of bother here. So I'll go Benetton by 5 to 10 points. And then Glasgow Lions, yeah, I think it's a 20-point win all day long here for Glasgow Warriors. They're playing a superb brand of rugby. And for me, I think they're the form. They could be the favourites to actually win this whole competition. All going well. Franco Smith has really gelled aside magnificently well. The performance in Tolman Park two weeks ago really was a statement of intent. Putting 73 points against Dragons was another statement of intent. And again, if they can put another performance together here, Liam, I mean, that will really set the can among the pigeons here in this tournament because they could be scheduled to play the winners of Benetton and Cardiff in the last four, which would be a mouth-watering prospect. So, yeah, Glasgow for me, that's probably the the, the tie of the round here for me uh, for a certain win for Glasgow, probably because of that for me saying that. I suppose, uh, Liam, we'll get away from uh, European Cup rugby here and look at maybe the TikTok's Women's Six Nations Championship. I suppose, can we get your reflections first on the first two rounds? I mean, it's probably a table of probably two halves here. Yeah, well, certainly like in, in the last day, you know what I mean? I mean, having got a hammer in the very first game to today and had to face France, yeah, it was like just going to be brutal. Um, the fact that we've only got like, you know, a try in, in two games and, and that basically half century conceded. It's just, it's like, obviously, like, where do you go from here, really, isn't it? I mean, the fact that also Ireland were down to 14 after 21 minutes is also... Uh, pretty disastrous as well but it's it's just the fact that in all facets the team is just a, a breakdown in terms of scrummaging and in ball handling it's just kind of all going wrong at the moment so at least the next game against Italy is is a game that certainly is winnable at the very least they have to keep their heads up and they, they have to find a way to just get over the line in, in, in winning because the other teams are playing are to be fair professionals better better kind of structures um probably better coaching so it's it's just a question for ireland in getting something out of the next three games i think it's to identify a core group of players that you can build a long-term project on now i know that there's the sevens women's team that are on the circuit at the moment you have like Steve Parsons you have other players there that would come back into the reckoning but I think for the management here I think it's just imperative to identify who can make the cut and who doesn't and I think being very clinical about that I think people will be getting an awful lot of uh, opportunities I would think from uh, the squad uh, given the roster and given the scheduling uh, so far but I suppose you've probably touched upon it here, Liam, in terms of, you know, all facets of play here um, are well behind those that we've faced so far. I suppose the case study is Wales for Ireland. I mean, you look at 12, 18 months ago, Wales were kind of in a similar spot. Uh, results not going their way, uh, getting heavy losses, and they've kind of seemed to have turned it around, had a good World Cup. They've continued that into that Six Nations with an emphatic win against Ireland and also a good win against uh, Scotland as well. 
who that was a very competitive game. So I think from an Ireland perspective, it really is a case of an awful lot of things having to be worked on in the next few years. I don't see any short-term fix here, Liam. I think in terms of like said, Nicola Friday, Sam Monaghan, the women that have gone to England, you can see their performance levels are absolutely on point. I think Nicola Friday has been absolutely one of the standouts uh, for Ireland here, leading by example. But again, there has been, you know, that glaring kind of difference in performance across the team here. And I think the more exposure that players get to higher intensity matches, fixtures, the better. And if that means having to go to England, going to France to really hone in their craft, then so be it. Because the body of evidence here is suggesting here that the domestic game is a little bit well behind in terms of the other leagues here. Yeah, it's it's a difficult spot. The players are trying, trying exceedingly hard. But again, you're looking at the stats here. Only one try from 160 minutes of rugby. The kick game, I think, has been absolutely very poor. Just in terms of even the French game, again, I'd like to see our nine maybe trying to kick a little bit more and not put the pressure on the 10 so much. So I think from that perspective, there's so many angles here uh, here that need to be kind of rectified, but that can only be rectified by, you know, trusting the squad here. The scrummaging here is another kind of maybe source of concern. It's, um, yeah, there's no quick fixes here, unfortunately, for Ireland here because... You look at the roster, you look at France, the development of those players. I mean, they've, um, you know, they're professional, you know, for, for a few seasons now. But again, they've been a perennial power along with England here in Six Nations. Uh, but they won't go down to 14 players after about 15 minutes. But to be honest, their gain line meters add, it really did counteract any advantage that Ireland would have had with 14 players. It was just the physicality, you know, just in terms of the 9-10, the halfback play that um, France played at. It was at a different level to Ireland, unfortunately. And I think it's just lessons learned here from Ireland. And again, Nicola Friday came out, fronted up to the cameras. But you can see that they're striving here. But again, this Italian game is going to be a tough game for them, away from home. And also the fact that this Italian-England performance... I thought Italy, for good parts of that game, were well-organised and had some good attacking moves, particularly in that first, second quarter. So I think for Ireland, it could be an arduous task here uh, to really kind of get anything from the tournament. But I think it's just building progression, building confidence, or building performance levels on all facets of play here. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, the thing is, it was also the way the men's game when they initially handed out contracts. Most dealer players at the, the, at the provinces were actually amateur very much part-time and and here now we have players contracted so it looks professional but it's, it's anything but as you alluded to with with the with the seven squad the seven squads are definitely taking precedence they're not available for for most of the year they're they're their own competitions and they are some of the best rugby players that Ireland actually have particularly in terms of obviously in terms of backline players right and then then you have a situation where the likes of the Irish props currently have known to, to scrummage against really essentially <laughs> you know i mean you're paying them to be professional players um but you're not allowing them to be professional and we have to look maybe in terms of scrapping the whole kind of women's um unearned league and having again the four provinces uh, exclusively um and maybe there might there might be a, an equivalent of a, a european pan or pan european competition anyway in the next few years and uh, that certainly has been something to look at as well yeah or you amalgamate teams i mean i hate to say that but if it means elevating performances and elevating fixtures um to the next level from a domestic perspective identifying grassroots then so be it i think it's uh i think the provincial setup and particularly the 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 four or well the iq um Based players as well. That's worked to a certain extent here, but again, it's as long as the RFU are continuing to invest in women's rugby. But again, it's that sevens fifteen conundrum here. Obviously, the the objective is clear here that they want the sevens team to participate in Paris Olympics. You can only do that by performing well on the seven circuit. So I think it's just an opportunity here for management really to see where 
the squad depth is and really make hard calls on players that they just feel are not going to make the cut. And that's just unfortunate, but I think that needs to happen. And then you can literally then assess in terms of your contracts, you know, players even going to France, even, you know, to really kind of hone in on their skills. It's a, it's a difficult one here, Liam. Uh, there's no quick fix here. And I think there's there's kind of kind of case study of the men's game when it kind of started up the, the contracts. It did take a few years to really things to settle down. And I think it's... It's the Tuckman model here. We're just in a forming stage from an Ireland rugby, women's professional rugby era. So I think it's just in fairness for the IRFU, the Vesta stakeholders, to commit to this programme. You know, the coaching aspect here in the grassroots, even with the mm-hmm. AIL clubs, provincials, to elevate that as well. You know, it, it just needs the time and it needs the support here. Uh, but yeah, look, all the best to the Ireland team anyway. But I suppose looking at the other teams here, I mean, England and France have stood out, but Wales, as I said, has been one of the, maybe the surprises here. And they're kind of going into this kind of bye week two from two as well. But England and France really, you know, no surprises here. The perennials are really kind of really flexing their muscles here at early doors in the tournament. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. I mean, England are just ferocious up front. they their, their sheer power and size is frightening, to be honest about it. But Wales will come away as being the story of the competition. Like, there's nothing about it. I mean, the, the likelihood is that they can pick up three wins out of five, which is incredible stuff, really. That would get them certainly, probably, what, potentially even up to second in the table. Again, though, the, the, the Italians, as you alluded to there, the Italians have also improved and they might, might have had the power that England had last time out, but they have the absolute skill levels to really, um, really trouble Ireland again. And yeah, the, the quality has been actually very ex- excellent so far in, in the Women's Six Nations this year. There have been an awful lot of standout performers here. I think England have really impressed me since the World Cup, where they used them all particularly as their go-to. They've now started to evolve and expand their game plan. When you see tight head prop in burn just literally running like a 13 offloading superbly well the likes of Dow at fullback scoring four tries they're really creating an awful lot of expansive field position here and i think england are going to be a dangerous animal same with france as well i think the statement of intent when they went to 14 players against ireland i thought it was just a fantastic um, performance from France, uh, from the, the 14 players here, really was just a really superb game. Pauline Bourdon, what can you say here, Liam? Number nine par excellence, you know, her link up play is <laughs> like Antoine Dupont in the a French men's team. They're just incredible, just she, she was just incredible uh, down at Musgrave Park. Three try assists, really, and to be fair, um, they're the two key sides here. But take nothing away, I think, from Wales. Wales do play England in Cardiff Arms Park on April 15th. So that'll be a nice barometer for Wales. But they're going in high confidence. So, you know, that's maybe the, the, the hope here for the Ireland. Scotland ran Wales pretty close in the last round. So hopefully Wales can really put up a good performance against England here to really kind of test England out because England do have a number of injuries here. I think there's 18, 19 injuries, but such is their strength and depth here, Liam. And this is where Ireland are kind of can only look on and envy here that this is going to take time to really build squad depth rosters in terms of all the various positions that England have scored 126 points here, you know, with that sort of injuries and also with the likes of Hunter retiring as well, they haven't skipped a beat. So I think from a Six Nations perspective, it's going to get very exciting here. I think the England-Wales game, definitely. I think it's probably all leading to uh, round five here. England-France in Twickenham at 1pm on the 29th of April, realistically, for the Grand Slam and everything else. So look, it's been an outstanding tournament so far here. And I do admire the tournament organisers here, Liam, as well, for putting on this tournament a little bit later. And I think with the the weather conditions being better, it has really promoted more running rugby. And maybe it's a, maybe what the men's tournament organisers could maybe do here as well. Maybe to consider maybe shifting this a few weeks 
similarly to the women's here because some of the fixtures have really produced some great running rugby. So I don't know. It's, I think, a very progressive move here from the, the women's Six Nation organisers to literally have this literally early spring into summertime. So it's uh, it's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. They, 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 they've pitched the, the, the perfect uh, um, time of the year and look, they should lock it in. Simple as that, like, you know. And it's going to transform women's rugby even more in terms of the the viewing figures and um, the quality of the rugby, as you said. Absolutely. No, it's a progressive step. Uh, and I know they have the bye week this week. But again, it's uh, going to be very interesting just to see, you know, how the teams develop here. Because for round three, uh, we do have obviously England, Wales, uh, Italy, Ireland. And also we do have France and Scotland. Uh, playing as well so look I think we'll see a bit more in terms of the body of evidence in terms of where the margin where the gap is in terms of quality between England and France and the rest of the chasing pack next weekend but I think so far you know Wales have been a standout story and a beacon of hope for Ireland who are really just starting their journey but I think it's imperative for the RFU to provide the coaching structures provide the resources here to allow the 15s game to really prosper and develop yeah, let's see how it goes. I suppose, Neem, we'll leave it there. Uh, it's been a lengthy one, but I think we had plenty to cover tonight. Many thanks for your time. I suppose next week we'll review the Champions and Challenge Cup. Last eight, uh, we'll be down to the last four of those two competitions. Obviously, URC is back on tap the following weekend. Again, we've touched upon Munster Rugby's arduous end-of-season South African trip. So maybe we'll have a, a review here of the second-last regular season weekend. Until then, uh, Neem, thanks very much and have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles, and reports.